There is a story I read recently about two men who were walking across the frozen tundra when suddenly they were charged by a polar bear. One man started to put on his snowshoes and the other said, What are you doing? You'll never outrun that bear. To which the first man replied, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you. That is an extreme illustration of the little slogan looking out for number one. And that is how our society operates. That's how our society lives. We live by that slogan, looking out for number one. But when that philosophy of looking out for number one invades the local church, the local church is in for real problems. Real problems of disunity, division, lack of harmony in the church. What an illustration. It may be a little exaggerated, but it's not all that far from the mark. You see, we're all born looking out for number one. And in some respect, that is a good thing. Babies need to tell their mothers when they are hungry. And as you know, they make their hunger pains very public. Later on, one of the first words our children learn is mine. And then whole sentences like, it's mine, it's my turn. And then when looking out for number one prevails in a church, that church is headed for big trouble. Hello, I'm Peter Silseth, and you are listening to Verse by Verse. Today on Verse by Verse, pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will have the biblical perspective on whom we really should be looking out for. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and these daily radio Bible classes are an extension of that preaching and teaching ministry. Today begins Pastor Steve's second message aimed at helping us produce a united church. Our text is chapter 2 from the book of Philippians. If you have your Bible, turn to chapter 2, verse 1, and let's get ready to consider some biblical principles that will help motivate us to seek harmony and unity in our churches. Here is Pastor Steve. Verses 1 through 11, one section, though we'll only cover the first four verses today, but let's read that. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a story I read recently about two men who were walking across the frozen tundra when suddenly they were charged by a polar bear. One man started to put on his snowshoes and the other said, what are you doing? You'll never outrun that bear. To which the first man replied, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> you know, now, 
Now that is an extreme. You, you got that. After a moment, it, it sets in. I know that. When I read it, it took me a moment too. That is an extreme illustration of the little slogan looking out for number one. And that is how our society operates. That's how our society lives. We live by that slogan looking out for number one. But when that philosophy of looking out for number one invades the local church, the local church is in for real problems. Real problems of disunity, division, lack of harmony in the church. Now, apparently the church at Philippi had those type of problems. They had the... Uh, the problem of disunity. There was something going on there. Paul hints at it in chapter 1, verse 27, when he writes this, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm, watch this, in one spirit. It's implied there. There's a hint. He goes on to say, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In other words, what he is doing is he's hinting and he's saying, you seem to have a problem. There's a problem implied there. I want you to be of one mind. I want you to be of one heart. I want you to strive together. And if that were all that we had in this book, then we'd say, well, maybe they really don't have a problem. However, when you put that together with chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, you understand that they did have a problem. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche, those were two women in the church, to live in harmony in the Lord. Paul is saying, I urge them to live in harmony. Why? Because obviously they were out of harmony. Verse 3, indeed, true comrade, I urge you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of Christ together with Clement also. Apparently, there was some type of feuding going on in that church. What the issue was, we're not told. We don't know. But Paul hints at it in chapter 1. In chapter 4, he gives a specific illustration of it or a specific incident of it. However, it is in chapter 2 that Paul opens up for us how to live in harmony. And chapter 2 is written in Philippians because obviously, at least it's obvious to me and to most Bible teachers, that this church had a problem with unity and harmony. So we want to know from chapter 2 how God produces a unified church. Paul specifically addresses the issue of disunity and the problems they had, and he tells them how to have a church of great unity. And you see, for us, 2,000 years later, we have the privilege, in essence, of reading their mail. Don't you ever want to read somebody else's mail? We have this privilege, though it is the word of God to all of us, it is specifically written with the Philippians in mind, from Paul's perspective at least, and we are, in a sense, opening their mail, and we are learning how to have a unified church. You see, just because we're unified now, and I might say that we are, there's great harmony here, there's great unity at Lakeside, it doesn't mean that Satan won't attempt to break us up and won't attempt to divide us. Uh, Just this week, my friend Marv Rosenthal was in town, and we were planning, we were talking on the telephone and planning to get together for uh, lunchtime, and uh, one of the first things that Marv said to me, he said, how are things going, this is on the telephone, he said, how are things going at the church? He always says that. And I said, Marv, it's scary how well things are going. It's frightening. There, there are people who are coming to know Christ. There is a spirit of oneness. There is growth. Uh, there is great joy. There is harmony. And I said, it is frightening because I know that Satan attacks when a church is a threat to him. I know that Satan attacks when things are going well, when you least expect it. When things are in order and, and you're moving out and you're in the, on, your, uh, on the same team and going in the same direction, that's when you can expect him to hit. And I understand that and I mention that. 
So what we began to do last week, and we continue it this week, we want to learn uh, some truths on how to produce a unified church. What is it? What are those ingredients that produce a unified church? We want to learn from this passage. We want to pull out the principles. We want to apply it in our own lives. We want to see it operate in our church. So I want you to understand, don't think because there are no problems now that there won't uh, ever be such great harmony and unity. Satan will try to get in. He will try to get into your ministry. He will try to have you be offended at someone. He will try to disrupt you. He will uh, accuse the brethren before you. You can you can count on that. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow, but it will take place. And so we want to be prepared for it when it comes. So last week we began to look at the first ingredient that uh, that produces a unified church. And we said it is motives for unity. We want the right motives. And we saw that in verse 1. He writes this, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. Now these are the motives for unity. These are the reasons that we need to work at getting along with others and not asserting our own rights. Now it's translated in such a way that it sounds like there's a doubt there. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if, but these are the ifs of theological certainty. A better word would be since. Since these things are true, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by having a unified church. So these are the ifs of theological certainty. He writes, encouragement that comes from being with Christ. If there's any, since there is encouragement, he's writing, uh, since there is a oneness of Christ, a oneness in the body, that you are one with Jesus Christ and one with every other believer. Since that is true, then may that be the encouragement to lead you to act in unity and harmony as if you are one with other believers. That's what he's saying. The oneness we have with Christ and other believers in the body of Christ ought to encourage us to act out that unity at a very practical level. He said, he speaks of incentive produced by God's love. When we remember how much God loves us, it motivates us to love others unconditionally with all their peculiarities, with all their idiosyncrasies, because we have the incentive of God's love for us. God loves us not because we're great people. But God loves us because he loves us. God loves us because that's his nature. And the spirit of God, when he came into you, produced and gave you a new nature, the Christ nature, and therefore we have the nature to love others. So what he is saying is there's an incentive that's provided by God's love. You realize how much God loves you in spite of the fact that uh, he knows all about you. He still loves you. Therefore, we are to love all others in the body of Christ. And therefore, we are not to let differences get in our way. And as you know, there will be differences. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will continue this lesson from Chapter 2 of Philippians after a short pause to greet those of you who missed the start of class and to hear Pastor Steve tell us about a wonderful learning opportunity coming up soon. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a daily radio Bible class of the air. Here he is now to tell us more about it. Hi, this is Steve Kreloff from Verse by Verse Radio. I want to thank you for listening to these broadcasts. We appreciate your faithful support of this ministry. And I and I want you to know that um, recently I've written a book about romance and marriage. It's called The Pleasures of Marriage. It's a verse-by-verse exposition of the Song of Solomon. I think it'll help your marriage. I think it'll strengthen marriages. I think it will uh, also help those who are singles, who are preparing to get married or hope someday to get married. This book is available on Amazon.com. And once again, it's called The Pleasures of Marriage.
As a faithful listener to these broadcasts, I feel you should know that Verse by Verse needs your financial support, and we appreciate your financial support. It's costly to prepare these programs, and we can only continue to do so if our listeners support this ministry. So I would ask you to please consider giving a gift as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for providing this program to help you in your Christian walk. All gifts to Verse by Verse are tax-deductible. You can give via PayPal on our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Or you can send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Seven five eight. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you and strengthen you as you listen to him speak, verse by verse. Thank you, Pastor Steve. When we set goals, we need a way to measure progress and to determine if we have achieved our goal. If one of our goals is church unity, how do we measure that? Pastor Steve will share some thoughts on that as he continues our lesson. But first, let's finish our brief review of Motives for Unity. Thirdly, we saw, he said, that fellowship that comes from God's Spirit, that is, the Spirit of God has made us one body, and we have a unity, we have a oneness, not only with the Spirit of God, but with one another, and therefore we are to act that out. And then finally, he spoke of of affection and compassion in us. Uh, what he's saying here is that when the Spirit of God came and uh, to dwell in you, he changed your heart. He gave you a heart of compassion. He gave you a heart of, of affection. Uh, I think that's, that's so true. Once you come to know Christ, there is a new love that you have for other people. There is a new concern. I recognize that in my own life. That uh, basically, my attitude, my philosophy of life before I was a Christian is if you like me, I might like you. But if you don't like me, don't, you don't even stand a chance. Now, I think that's the way most people are, if they're honest. I'm reading a a book about a baseball player who has come to know Christ, and uh, I just read yesterday the chapter about his conversion. He said one of the first things he noticed after he came to know Christ is that no longer did he just care about making the major leagues and feel bad when, when others made it, and he was left behind. Now he said, I really wanted my friends on the team to make the, the major leagues. He said, I noticed I had a love for them and I had a concern for them. That's called regeneration. That's what happens. So what Paul is saying is that uh, the affection and compassion in us moves us to act that way toward other believers and to reach out and not let disputes and differences disrupt our fellowship. So Paul's point is this, since these things are true, then it ought to lead to a church that's characterized by unity and harmony at a very practical level. That's what he's saying. Let these things be your motives. Uh, Don't let externals be your motives. Let it come from the heart. Unity comes from the heart. Now, how do we know, though, if we've achieved this unity? What are we aiming at? How would you know if you're part of a unified church? How would you know if things are in order? Well, he tells us the second ingredient to producing a unified church is the marks of unity. These are the characteristics. These are the qualities. This is how you evaluate and judge and see if this church and any other church is on target. He writes, and, and by the way, this is just very quickly review. I recognize some of you were not here, and we need, and it was two weeks ago, so we're just quickly reviewing, and then we'll get into our text. Being of the same mind. That's the first mark, he writes in verse 2, being of the same mind. That is to say, he is speaking here of an attitude. He's not saying that we all agree on everything, because that's not the case. 
That's not the case. We don't all agree on everything. However, there is a, there is a certain mindset. There is a submission to the authority of scripture. Even where we might disagree on an interpretation of scripture, being of the same mind means that we are dominated by a submission to the authority of scripture so that I know I'm not to be contentious. I'm not to be a fighter. I'm not to be a brawler with you over things that are not essential. It's a domination, it's an attitude that is, that is dominated by the word of God. You see, there is chaos in a church when our own thinking dominates us. When I've got my opinion here and you've got your opinion here and you're going to rush in and say, I think we ought to do this and this is what we must do because I think this is right and I say, no, we must do this and I uh, think that this is right. And then you have people clashing. Being of the same mind means that we move from our minds becoming the final authority to the Bible becoming the final authority and then there's harmony. Even if we don't agree on things. There still is a domination by this, by the, the word of God so that we have a sweet spirit towards one another even when we disagree. You see, it's almost you have to have the attitude we agree to disagree. Gracious spirit. Now let's move on to, and this is, this is new ground that we're covering, another mark of, of unity. He writes in verse 2, not only being of the same mind, but maintaining the same love. A church that is unified for Christ's sake is a church that's marked by people loving one another. Now, what does that mean? It is not sentimentality. It is not just an emotional feeling. But love is basic, basically boils down to a sacrificing for others, sacrificial ministry towards others. It's, it's to say, if you have a need and I can meet it, I want to meet it. I'm laying down my life for the brethren. It's a commitment to meet the needs of others. And let's look at that in John. Let's go back to John 13. John 13 gives us some insight into what love is all about, what Christ expects of us. Love is not just a word that we toss around, but love is a reality, love is practical, love is a verb. Love is doing for others. It's not just singing about it, it's not just coming up with poetry, but it's actually doing something. In John 13, 34, Jesus is on the verge of leaving, and he's telling his disciples how they ought to live while he's gone. And he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. Now, how did he love them? He sacrificed for them. He was on the verge of laying down his life for them. And what he's saying is he's, he's calling us to live that way, to live by sacrificing for others. If you'll turn over just two chapters to John 15, verse 13, we, we're given more insight on how to do this. Greater love has no one than this, than one laid down his life for his friends. That is love. Laying down your life. It might not be dying for someone. It may just be living for them. In fact, living for them in many respects is easier than dying for someone. A loving church is a church that puts the needs of others before self-needs. It's a church that, that says you are important. I put your needs first. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. That is known as the love chapter. It's really a chapter dealing primarily with spiritual gifts, but uh, love is included in this. Love is the priority, and the use of gifts need, needs to be handled with love. But he, but he writes in chapter 13, verse 4, he tells us how he defines perfect love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. 
Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. Why doesn't, why isn't love jealous? Because uh, love doesn't say, you have what I want. Love says, I'm delighted that you got that promotion to the major leagues. I'm delighted that you got that salary raised. I'm delighted that your needs are being met. Love does not, does not brag, he says. Why? Because to brag, you have to say, I'm better than you. You know, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. I'm, I did this. I'm better than you. It's not arrogant. Love doesn't look down upon other people. Verse five does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It doesn't, it doesn't say, uh, my agenda is the only thing that counts. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. You see, it's not, it's not easily offended. He's saying it does not rejoice in unrighteousness. If you're involved in unrighteousness, uh, my job is not to come along and say, aha, we caught you. My job is to is to weep, and your job is too when someone is found to be in unrighteousness. But rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love puts up with everything and anything. And so that's when you come back to, to Philippians chapter 2, and, and when Paul says maintaining the same love, you realize that that is so important. The thing that disrupts unity is self-centeredness. It's self-centeredness. It's saying that my needs have to be met and my needs are more important than your needs. You see, then you have everybody climbing over everybody else to have their needs met and there's chaos. There's no harmony. And let me put it on a different level. My ministry is more important than your ministry. What I do in the church is more significant than what you do in the church. And we're going to speak more about that in a few moments. But when you get that together, then you have got a lot of problems in a church. But love says, my desire is to meet your needs, not just ministry needs in the sense of programs, but individual needs. You know, we have a lot of new folks in the church, a lot of new people, and that means a lot of needs, a lot of needs. I'm always amused when people say, but I want to go to a smaller, a small church where, where they need me to meet needs. Listen, there's no place that needs you more than a place that's growing. You want to, you want to find needs? They're right here. They're right here where there are people, there are needs. And love doesn't wait to meet other people's needs. You see, the, the concern that I have is there's so many new folks that people are going to sit back who are new and wait for others to meet their needs. May I urge you and encourage you, don't wait for anybody to meet your needs. Even if this is the second, third, fourth week that you're at Lakeside, you've got to be committed to meeting other people's needs. If you wait for them to meet your needs, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because it just doesn't work that way. Because if you have a lot of new people, then everybody's waiting, and you're going to be waiting a long time. And then you may just say, well, I'm not going to wait anymore. I'll go to some smaller place where they will notice me. Love, maintaining the same love, says, I'm not going to wait for anybody to meet my needs. I'm going to meet their needs. I'm going to invite them over to my home. I'm going to reach out to them. If we have needs, then it's safe to assume that others do too. The possibilities are limitless. In the movie Robots, Toy maker Mr. Big Weld's motto was, See a need, fill a need. Well, that's a good motto for us to have in the church as well. We are delighted to have you in class today. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside. Now we at Verse by Verse Ministries have the pleasure of adapting his practical message to radio. We're thankful for the gifts and prayers of listeners just like you. They are a great help in keeping these classes on the air. If you would like to listen to today's program again, it's on our website, versebyverseradio.org. 
We also have many of Pastor Steve's previous lessons available in the archives. We also offer a free podcasting service and a complimentary newsletter. That's versebyverseradio.org. The entire message from which this lesson was taken is available on audio CD. To order one, please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. The number again is 727-441-1714. While we should all be involved in some sort of ministry, it needs to be for the right reason. Those who minister for selfish motives play a large role in bringing conflict into our church families. Let's meet again right here next time to continue our verse-by-verse study of Philippians chapter 2 and the unity in the church.